Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. This morning, we are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Okay, if you wanted to start going there and find a spot, we're also going to have it on the screens for you in the same translation that I'm reading from. But what's going to happen this morning is Paul is going to bump us up against a topic that we haven't touched on yet as a church. We're, like I said earlier, about six months old, and he's going to bump us up against the topic of Money. Uh oh. Everyone's getting a little nervous right now. It's going to be okay. All right. We're going to talk about money. If you're a visitor here this morning, you're like, great. I came on the morning that they're talking about money. It really is going to be okay. And here's why you know, the Bible has thousands, literally thousands of passages that talk directly or indirectly about money and possessions. Scholars observe from the, from the teachings of Jesus that he, he talked about money and possessions more than any other subject. And I just want you to think about your life, that every day you're making decisions about money. At my house, we like it a little bit cold, and if you've been outside lately, you know in Houston, Texas right now, it is hot, it's humid, and when that AC runs all day long, that is a financial decision, right? When you get that bill from um, whatever company you use at the end of August, dagger to the heart, right? It hurts, but it's a financial decision. You, when you get in your car, that's a financial decision because you're gonna pay to put gas in that thing. You're gonna change the oil. When you sit down for one of your three meals in a day, that's a financial decision. You spent money on food. We make decisions all day long that involve money. And so I I want to suggest that we should not feel uh, like we cannot talk about money from the scripture. We absolutely need to talk about it. It's extremely relevant to our lives. So that's what Paul is going to bump us up against this morning. And so without further ado, let's read this passage together. This is Philippians 4, uh, verses 10 through 23. He says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. Verse 15, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul is writing this book in response to this gift, a financial gift that came to him from a church that was supporting him, a church that he planted about 10 years before he wrote this book. And so he, he has this messenger, Epaphroditus, that brings this, this generous gift to him, and he's going to write this letter. He's going to send it back with Epaphroditus so that this church can be encouraged and thanked and, and given some instructions in regard to this awesome financial gift that he has received. And in this passage, he hits on these themes of giving, contentment, and the spiritual component of our money, okay? So I, I wanna just dive right into this and add, I just wanna look at the very first portion of this passage where he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. I just wanna draw your attention to that word care. He says, you were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. See, this church that Paul started loved him. They cared about him. He says later, I think it's down in 15 and 16, that no other church shared with him in the matter of giving and receiving, that several times they had sent these financial gifts to help him along. And this church loved Paul. He was like dad. He's the apostle. He's the one that started the church, the founder. And so they loved him. And if you're taking notes this morning, my first point is this. Love always leads to giving. Love always leads to giving. I think we're like 14 days away from the official start of football season. And if you watch football and you see those banners on the field, what, what verse do you see every time? Have y'all ever noticed this? Was it John 3.16? Have y'all seen that before? The banners on the field, when you watch games on TV, you're gonna see that verse. Do y'all know the verse John 3.16, right? It's the, like one of the most famous Bible verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, deep in the heart of God is this love that gives. And I'll just remind you, you were created in the image of God. Love will always lead us to give in the same way that the Father's love led him to give his son Jesus on our behalf. I had a, a mentor and a pastor who said it this way. He said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. 
You can give without loving, right? Someone can ask you for money for something. You're like, yeah, whatever, sure. Here's five bucks, right? You, you don't really care, but you give them some money. But you cannot love without giving. Um, parents, if you have kids, you know, right? They ask you for money. My kids are always coming up. Hey, dad, can I get this thing on the game? It's like $4.99. I'm like, no, right? Get away. Every now and then I'll say yes, right? But we give them food. We give them shelter. We are providing for our kids. Why? Because we love them, right? Spouses, you do things for one another. You, you give stuff to each other, like maybe birthdays or just little things or little notes that you write. Or you have things that you do that you give to one another because you love one another. Now, sure, all of us have times when we don't feel like, when your kids ask you for that, that next cup of milk or chocolate milk or whatever it is in your house, and that part of you is like, oh, Lord, please, right? We have moments where we don't feel like giving, yet we still Give because we love. We love. Friends do this to one another when you're dating. I don't know if any of you are in that season of life where you're dating. I remember buying little jewelry and stuff for Casey, right? Because there's a growing love. Love will always lead us to giving. And when it comes to our money, right, love leads us to give. It always does. Now, Paul talks about contentment. We see this in verse 11 through 13. And wow, I think this is so uh, relevant for us today. He says in verse 11, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. Now, if you're like me, I, I resonate with the second half. Like, I can make do with a lot. Like, give me a lot and I'll make do. But that first part's a little more of a struggle. I know how to make do with a little. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I, uh, I remember in college, my, my beloved first truck, I had a Ford F-150 1987 extended cab. It had red interior. It was a Lariat edition. It was two-tone black and silver paint on the outside. It was awesome. I bought wheels. I got a little bit bigger, bigger tires, right? It was so cool. And then it died. It just died. It was like a haul off situation. My, my grandfather's car, I inherited my grandfather's car. It was a 80s model, baby blue, Mercury Grand Marquis. Oh man, that car was crazy. It was, it was one of those that just floats down the road. If you've ever been in the old cars, it's just kind of big boat car that floats down the road. And um, back in that day, some of you will recall this, the headliners would fall out of your car. I don't know if y'all ever had that before. I think they stopped making them that way, but you'd be driving down the road and this baby blue fabric would start resting on your head, right? Because the, the, the fabric of the car was coming down and my grandma, is like super frugal. And so she, she comes over one day and she puts literally 2,000 staples in the roof of my baby blue grand marquee. And, and then the AC died and it was just, guys, I wanna tell you, I was extremely discontented, okay? I was so glad when I was able to 
push that thing away. We all have stuff that makes us feel discontent. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's a, the car, it's the, it's the house, it's the condition of the house, it's the, it's the job. There's things that constantly create this discontentment within us because contentment is really all about satisfaction. Like picture Mick Jagger with the microphone, I can't get no satisfaction. That's what contentment is all about. In fact, if you were to look up discontentment, it means dissatisfaction with possessions, position, or situation, right? It's dissatisfaction, to be discontented. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver, And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Meaning this, if we focus on stuff, we are never, ever satisfied. We'll be filled with discontentment. And then there's this this worldly contentment. This is where we feel self-satisfied. Like, I finally have all the stuff that I wanted. Maybe you, you've reached a point in your life where you, you, you feel comfortable with where you are and you, you kind of have a little bit of that like little ego padding of just like, oh, good job, right? You made it. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. This is like a worldly contentment. This can also be um, a kind of a content to be discontent, a, a resignation. There's a way that we, in, in a worldly sense, become content just by saying, eh, what's the point? I'll never be content anyway. So I'm content to be discontent. But Paul, he's describing something different than both of those. He's talking about this true contentment, this Christian contentment, which is this. This is the secret. He's learned the secret of being content. Here it is. The ability to be satisfied in Christ no matter our possessions, position, or situation. The ability to be satisfied right now, no matter your possessions, position, or situation. Can can, can I just give you some good news this morning, some gospel? It's this, that Jesus Christ is absolutely enough for your hungry heart. That right now, all the fullness of God is available to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That he can bring a deep contentment on your heart. And it's a true contentment. No matter what is happening with your possessions, your position, or your situation. Paul has learned the secret. If you're taking notes, here's my second point. My stuff doesn't own me. That's what he's saying. My stuff doesn't own me. Having a little or a lot does not change what's going on in here. That deep in my being, I can be contented in Jesus Christ, satisfied in who he is to me. And I just want to draw your attention to the word learned. Did you see that word in there? Verse 11, right? I have learned to be content. 
He says it again in 12, right? I have learned the secret of being content. He had to learn it. Now, here's the deal. That means that this is not automatic. It's not like when Paul saw the blinding light on the road to Damascus that all of a sudden he's like, I am fully contented in Christ. No, no, that's not what happened. Paul had to learn to be content in whatever situation he was in, which means if Paul can learn it, then I can learn it. And if I can learn it, you can absolutely learn to be content in Christ alone. He is enough for our hungry hearts. I, uh, I heard a, um, a friend give an illustration one time, and he, and he used uh, the picture of an octopus. If you have ever been uh, you know, out in the ocean, obviously you've seen them on TV or whatever, but you know, if you picture the, the, the tentacles of an octopus, and our hearts are like that. Right? We have these tentacles that want to grab onto things, right? whether it's um, you know, our, our family status or it's our, our possessions or, or, or position or situation. We latch on to stuff that's not Jesus. And learning to be content, growing in maturity in Christ is learning how to take those tentacles off of that stuff and to attach them to Jesus. Like one by one, we see these parts of our heart that want to grab onto stuff that it's like that pursuing the silver. It's never enough. It's never enough. And then we begin to slowly reattach those things to the very person of our risen Savior. And it's like, finally, I've learned the secret of being content. And then the verse Oh, the verse, the verse that we all know, the verse that athletes have, have um, talked about as they ran the marathon or they won the gold medal, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe you have that tattooed on your bicep, right? So when you're at the gym and you're doing curls, you can just look in the mirror and be Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Five more pounds today, right? You know, you, you have that verse that we quote and we use it. And the heart behind that is so good. And the exegesis is so bad. It's so bad. Okay. Now, if you have that tattooed on your bicep, don't go getting it lasered off after the service. It's going to be okay. But let's talk about what that really means. What's Paul talking about? What's the context when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? He's talking about the ups and downs of finances. The ups and downs of provision. The ups and downs of material stuff. And Paul has a whole list of things that he's endured for the sake of the gospel. Beaten, shipwrecked, right? Stoned almost to death. He's been without, he's been hungry, he's been well-fed, he's been brought into the, 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 the homes of the rich and the wealthy, and he's eaten their food. He has seen it all, the ups and the downs. And here's what he's saying. My stuff doesn't own me. I can do all. All things through Christ who strengthens me, no matter what is happening with my possessions, my position, or my situation. So, if you have 
Philippians 4.13, tattooed on your bicep. Don't look at it when you're doing the curls, okay? Look at it when your bank account is so tight that you don't know what you're gonna do next. And then remember, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Remember that when you feel like I will never fulfill God's purpose for me, like my, my situation is so crazy, I don't think I'll ever fulfill it. And I just want you to remember what Paul said because he's saying, look, nothing will stop me from fulfilling God's purpose for me. My stuff can't stop me. It doesn't own me. I don't need more money to do what God called me to do. I can do it right now no matter what I have, right? God's purpose will be fulfilled for my life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in the ups and in the downs. My stuff doesn't own me. And then he begins to talk about this spiritual component of their giving. And I love this because if you look at verses 16 and on, he, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. And he says, look, not that I seek the gift. And that's so refreshing because we've all seen television evangelists. It's like, you know, send in your thousand dollars and I'm going to give you a, a prayer cloth or something like that, right? And, and it feels like it's just like always more and more and more money. And I think that's one of the reasons why we feel so uh, uneasy talking about money in church. We've seen some things that feel off. Paul's like, not that I seek the gift. I'm not after your money. But he says, I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And then he says this, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My third point is this. What you give matters to God. It matters to God. That's what Paul's doing. He's shifting the emphasis away from him, away from his need, away from the situation, saying, no, 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 look, 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 here's what matters. Profit is being increased to your account. What account is he talking about? That word account in the Greek is the word logos, which is the same word that is, is translated as word, right? In the beginning was the word logos, the same word account and word, what could that mean? Well, it's this, that um, there is an answer in our accounting before our heavenly father, that your giving speaks a word before him. And it is a fragrant offering. It's worship. This word profit, he says, I seek the profit. What does that mean? Well, that's the fruit. It's, it's like a tree. If you've seen a fruit tree planted in the ground and the, the soil and the, and the water in the soil is providing the nutrients and that tree grows and those leaves turn green and what happens is the fruit begins to form on the branches. It's the outworking of something inside the tree. And for us as believers in Christ giving, it's a fruit that comes out of this love, 
love for Jesus. Like, I love him. Everything I have is his. My stuff doesn't own me. Jesus owns me. And part of our fruit bearing is that we begin to give. It's, it's like we can't love him without giving. It's fruit. It's the outworking, the result of the life of God within us. Now, let me give a quick caution. There's a teaching in, in our world, it's everywhere, that's called the prosperity gospel. Have y'all heard that term before, prosperity gospel, right? That's probably a term that's pretty common for us to hear that talked about. And I just wanna, I, w- I wanna just give us a caution. Because this teaching says that if I will give my money then it's like this vending machine where God, I'm gonna pull the lever, I'm gonna put my tithe in, pull the lever, and then blessing is just gonna come right out, right? I'm gonna give a thousand, God's gonna give me 10,000. I'm gonna give a, a, a you know, 10,000, God's gonna give me a million. And, and there's this idea that if you give in, all of a sudden there's this immediate material blessing. Now that's not at all what Paul's saying here. He says, there's an account that's more important than what's in your account. There's a word being spoken before the Father as you're giving fruitful, right? That is, it's like this in heaven when you step into eternity and you're standing before the, before the Father and he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now come be in charge of much. There's an account and it's not just here. Because if we were to say, oh, well, material wealth is the sign of God's blessing, then what about all the drug dealers and, and Epstein, who got busted the last couple of weeks, has his own private island? Oh, I guess he's blessed by God's sex trafficker? No, absolutely not. So this teaching that material prosperity is the sign of God's blessing is False. Now, can God bless you with finances? Absolutely. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he may put you in charge of, of awesome resources. Praise him. But we cannot make that the standard of blessing, okay? So what you give matters to God. There's an account worth more than what's in your account and giving is worship, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And I just want you to kind of, if you could just put on your imagination hat for a second. I just want you to imagine that you're in the church in Philippi. You've got this letter back. The elder of the church is standing up and he's reading this letter to you. And you hear Paul say these words, fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You're thinking about the gift that you sent him as a church. Where did that gift come from? How was the church able to send a missionary and an apostle a gift? My thing, if you're imagining with me, is I'm sitting there and maybe I'm the farmer and I've, I've got some crops and I sold my crops and I, I received some money and I 
sacrificed. And so when he says a pleasing sacrifice, it's like, yeah, that was a sacrifice. Maybe it was the, the livestock that our family sold and we brought a portion of that into the church. Maybe it was Lydia, the dealer of purple cloth who had merchants coming and she's sacrificing so that this church can send a gift. Now just imagine, where did that come from and what did that word sacrifice mean to them? I want us to get practical as we close this morning. Um, my journey with this whole subject of money started as a newlywed. Um, when Casey and I got married about 13 years ago now, uh, I wanted to be the cool husband, and I made a whopping $26,000 a year at my uh, church job where I was a college pastor. And so we would go out to eat, and we'd go to the movie, and then we'd go to the shopping mall, and she'd be like, oh, I love this. It looks so great in our house. And I'd be like, buy it, babe. That's awesome. I love this. And then we'd go to Target, and she'd see, oh, I love this shirt. I'm like, we should get that shirt for you. That's great. And so two weeks into the month, my paycheck is gone, okay? So then we go from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde, where I'm like, don't spend a dime, right? And everyone freak out. And my wife is like, oh my gosh, like, who is he? It's like, one day it's like, yes, buy everything. And the next day it's like, never spend another dime. And after about two or three months of that, we're like, this isn't gonna work for us. And so our church started offering this course called Financial Peace University. And it began to teach us some principles that have absolutely changed our marriage and it's changed how we handle money. So what I want to do is give you just some insight into our lives. Okay. Now, for some of you, what we do, you're going to think, uh, that's not incredibly generous. We, like, we give more. Some of you, this may be a challenge for you, but I want to let you in not to say we're awesome because we're not awesome. But I want to give you a living example, as Paul says, imitate me of what we do with money. So how we handle that is the, the first 10% that we receive as a family, right? We give that to our local church, which is now Renaissance Church, the first 10%, right? So if you make $100, you give $10 to your local church. Now, that's called the tithe. Some people say, oh, that's Old Testament. We, we don't need that anymore. That's Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant now. Like, we don't have to give like that anymore. Well, you're right. We are under the New Covenant. But here's my concern with that idea. How does the Son of God coming in flesh living perfectly, teaching us, having all this recorded for us, then dying to take all of our sins, everything we've ever done, thought, said upon himself, and then raising again to, to pay for that sin so that you and I could stand before a God and he could look at us with full pleasure. How does that make me less generous than the Israelite who was giving 23% of his income away every year in bringing a lamb and a ram and, and oil and, and, and grain into a temple for an offering every month. How would that make us less generous? Wouldn't it make us more generous? Like if we really got a hold of what Jesus has done for us. So 
Do I think the tithe is Old Testament? Yeah, but I think it's the training wheels of what it means to be a New Testament believer. I don't think we're, we go below that. I think we should really shoot to be above that. We should shoot to be more generous. So our first 10% goes to the church. Now, some people say you're a pastor and it's like, you know what? You give 10% to the church and it's like you just got it back because you work for the church. That is false, okay? When the 10% leaves our account, it doesn't magically come back in, okay? We still live on 90, okay? Does everybody understand that, right? So I don't have an advantage on you there. Uh, we still live on the 90. We give this first. Right? We, we give the first 10%. When you look at a calendar, the first day of the week is Sunday, the Lord's Day. You give the first day of the week to the Lord in worship and rest. There's a principle in the scripture of first fruits. We're giving our first and we're giving our best. Okay, there's a practical reason why we give our first because if we waited to the last, it would be gone, <laughs> right? All of us know that feeling, right? We, we know how to get that account to go down to almost zero at payday and we're like, oh, we got paid again, praise God, right? So we give the first because we can't spend what's not there. We give the first, right? The way that we do that, if we set up a bill pay on our, on our account, so whenever that, that bill or that, um, the income comes, it hits our account, direct deposit, we just go on there, it's gone, right? We don't live on it, it's not ours. We give the first 10% to the church. Above and beyond that, we do have missionaries and ministries that we support. We have friends that are sharing the gospel overseas. We have uh, ministries that deal with college students that we love. And so we give uh, another 2% of our income to ministries and missionaries above and beyond that because we really, really love what they're doing. So that is our practice as a family. Here's the key. Consistency and regularity. Here's why I say that. The missionaries that we support overseas, guess what? Every month, their rent's due. Every day, they've got to buy food. So when we give, we give regularly. It's the same time so that they know, okay, we can count on these people. I want to encourage you, as you give, give regularly and consistently. And here's the cool part. This is like a little mini celebration for us. At the end of the year, we get what's called a giving statement, right? If you give to Renaissance Church, at the end of the year, you're going to get a, a giving statement. And that's like a little party. Because when Casey and I look at how much we were able to give away because we gave it away just little bit by little bit by little bit, it's always like in a Ah, oh, this is so cool. Like, we would never believe that we were able to give that much away. And yet somehow, by just giving the first and the best, it's like this little celebration. Now, if, if I could make one promise to you, not prosperity gospel, but a, a true and living promise from the word of God, it's this and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Your giving matters to him. 
Now, if you're like, I don't trust you church people, I'm not giving you my money, fine. Give it somewhere, but begin to give. Give generously. Let the profit to your account increase. The word before the Lord, the worship that you release when you give generously and cheerfully. I'm gonna close with this. Um, I read this from Randy Alcorn. He wrote a book called Managing God's Money. It's a great book. And he used this word picture and it really helped me. He said, imagine you're living during the Civil War here in the US. You're from the North, but you're living down in the South. You've got a job there, you're, you're making money there, and um, if you knew that at the end of that war, the South was gonna lose, the currency would be worth nothing, right? It wouldn't be worth the paper that it's printed on. It, it would be something Maybe it gets thrown in a museum later, but it's not going to be worth anything. All that money that you have accumulated will not be worth anything. If you knew that, what would you do? Would you hoard it? <laughs> would you have a big pile of paper worth nothing? No. Wouldn't you begin to uh, exchange it for the currency that will actually have value. Wouldn't you begin to buy American dollars? Of course. Think of that. This world, we're not from here. If you're a believer in Christ, you're not from here. Paul says you are a citizen of heaven. And at the end of all this, everything we have here will be worth nothing. It won't be worth the paper that it's printed on. And what will matter is what Jesus talked about when he said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust and rot do not destroy. I wanna encourage you as you give and you give faithfully and generously, you are exchanging for currency that actually has lasting value. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.